If chocolate is your weakness, the real chocolate decadence of Flava Naturals Performance Chocolate can be your strength. I've been searching high and low for cocoa products that deliver meaningful amounts of healthful flavanols with great flavor and minimal sugar. So I'm thrilled to have found Flava Naturals. Extensive research demonstrates the remarkable benefits of daily cocoa flavanols on brain and heart function, including a recent Harvard study showing a 27% reduction in cardiovascular death. But you need to eat five or more ordinary dark chocolate bars every day to match the flavanols consumed in most of these studies. Flava Naturals Performance Dark Chocolate Cocoa Powder and beverages deliver five to nine times the flavanols of typical dark chocolate. Their secret is sourcing premium, high flavanol cocoa beans and processing them naturally. The result is decadent dark chocolate with the flavanol levels needed to fuel brain and cardio performance. I use it every day. For more information and to order, just go to flavanaturals.com. That's flavanaturals.com. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. And recently, I read a fascinating article in Psychology Today entitled, Nutrition Can Strengthen the Immune System to Fight COVID-19. The article is by today's guest, who is a nutritional psychiatrist. She's Harvard-trained board certified as a psychiatrist specializing in nutritional and metabolic psychiatry. We're going to find out what that's all about. We're going to take a look at the relationship between diet and mental health. Uh, Dr. Eade is, as I said, a Harvard-trained board-certified psychiatrist. Uh, she has 18 years of clinical experience in hospitals, community health centers, specialty clinics, and private practices has been a staff psychiatrist and nutrition consultant for seven years at Harvard University Health Services and also at Smith College. And she has an online video consultation service for individuals, which lends itself very well to lockdown uh, <laughs> in relationship to employing uh, nutritional support for psychiatric and other medical conditions. She's a regular contributor to Psychology Today and dietdoctor.com. And so welcome, Dr. Reed. It's a pleasure having you on Intelligent Medicine. Thank you very much for inviting me, Dr. Hoffman. It's a pleasure to be here with you today and to meet your listeners. Okay. Well, tell us, first of all, you know, tell us a little bit about uh, your journey because uh, you're impeccably uh, trained. Uh, you have an MD degree. You're board certified in psychiatry. Uh, surely that is not what they taught you uh, at... Uh, uh, the University of uh, Vermont College of Medicine, and then uh, at your psychiatric residency, a prestigious one at Harvard University, uh, Cambridge Hospital. So true. Uh, I really, I had excellent training at both of those institutions and loved my training, but I have to say, you know, in retrospect, uh, we, we, in medical school, four years of medical school, we probably had about two to three hours total of nutrition education. Um, and in residency, four years of psychiatry residency training program, we didn't discuss the role of nutrition in mental health once. So in, in retrospect, I think there's a huge hole and, and, and that needs to be filled 
uh, as we go forward, I'm hoping that um, medical education will change to to focus on this, as as I'm sure you would agree, very important topic. Well, indeed, you know, there definitely is a, a food mood connection. And, uh, you know, it's not just a trendy fad. You know, we've learned from uh, the pioneers in orthomolecular medicine that uh, uh, critical nutrients make a difference. Uh, diet makes a difference. We're now seeing the relationship between the microbiome and the brain. Uh, so there, there's a lot of ground to be covered. So, uh, so, so where do we start? I mean, how do you make the case that nutrition matters for mental conditions like anxiety, depression, schizophrenia, you name it? Oh, well, the, the simplest way to sum it up is to say that, you know, uh, that the reason why it makes sense to, to look at your diet, if you have any kind of a, even a simple mental health concern, such as brain fog or, or uh, mild depression or anxiety, all the way to serious psychiatric conditions is I, I like to say that the most powerful way to change your brain chemistry is through food because that's where the brain chemicals come from in the first place. And uh, yes, medications can influence brain chemistry and they can be very important parts of, of, uh, of a care plan for, for people with certain conditions, but they can't address the root causes of those conditions in the, in the, in the deep way that nutrition can. And so, uh, you know, fundamentally the brain needs to be constructed of the correct nutrients and it has to be, you, know, you have to eat a diet that includes all of the nutrients the brain needs and that excludes, uh, ingredients which damage the brain, which are easy to find in our modern diet. And, and it has to, it has to feed the brain Energy, it has to provide energy in ways that support healthy brain metabolism over the lifespan. And there are many reasons why the, the current diet that most people are eating, uh, e even those who are doing a, a good job trying to follow mainstream recommendations, the, the diets that most of us eat currently do not meet those criteria. And so what most of us don't realize is that we've been feeding our brains improperly our entire lives, and we therefore don't know how good we could actually feel, what our true personal best is, unless we actually feed our brains properly. There's been a lot made of the relationship between a, a pro-inflammatory diet uh, and various mental conditions, including anxiety, uh, depression, because it seems that for some strange reason, the brain is actually part of the body. <laughs> and if your body is, I, you know, I, I know that that's kind of heretical to say, but uh, uh, what happens in your body affects your brain. And if you have a pro-inflammatory diet that uh, impacts uh, all your organs, there's no reason to suspect that it won't affect uh, your moods in some way. Can can you delineate that for us a little bit? Sure. Uh, and that's, that's a, that is a really uh, controversial statement that the brain is part of the body. So, I, um, but, but it is, it is mo most, most scientists do agree that the brain is part of the body. And so it's an organ, you know, like any other organ, and it requires the same nutritional care that the rest of the body does. So, um, I think that one of the things that's really important people to understand is that we, uh, we, we understand so much more than we used to even 10 years ago about the underlying causes of mental health conditions, which we, you know, we're used to thinking of as really mysterious and difficult to understand and somehow rooted in, you know, genetics or upbringing or uh, traumas that occur in our life. 
but 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 nutrition has a huge role to play in in these conditions because the root causes of many psychiatric conditions some of the underlying features that they all share whether it's depression, anxiety, Alzheimer's disease, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, is um, inflammation uh, on a microscopic level, inflammation, something called oxidative stress, which are too many free radicals, which uh, are sort of like little bulls in a china shop that can run around and damage important components of the brain, and something called insulin resistance, which many of your listeners may, be, uh, may, may have heard of, mm-hmm. which is blood sugar and insulin levels not being properly controlled and being kept in a healthy range. And and those three forces, I mean, there are, there are others as well, such as nutrient deficiencies, which we've understood for a long time. But those inflammation, oxidative stress, and insulin resistance, those are three, um, those, those are directly and powerfully influenced by diet. So we have a lot more control than we, than we usually think we do over, over over how inflamed our brains are, how much oxidative stress is happening, and whether or not it's getting energy, uh, getting blood sugar, and, and getting getting glucose and insulin uh, in in proper proportions. So, I think I think there's just so much possible uh, for people who have never tried changing their diet in order to improve their mental health. There are so, there's there's a lot of potential there, and even simple changes can make a very big difference. Yeah, this, there's uh, something that has been referred to as type 3 diabetes, which is uh, diabetes uh, type 2, but specifically how it affects the brain, uh, because insulin resistance uh, robs the neurons, uh, the brain cells, of essential fuel. They're, they're running on glucose, unless you're keto-adapted or fat-adapted. We'll talk a little bit more about the benefits of keto diet. But um, uh, could you talk to us about how that might affect uh, mood and mental performance and even might be part and parcel of our trending toward Alzheimer's? Absolutely. So uh, the, the, the term type 3 diabetes has been around for a long time, since at least 2008. And it really what it uh, what it reflects is a very deep and broad and mature uh, the the science behind the connection the very strong connection between insulin something called insulin resistance or pre diabetes uh, or, or uh, insulin levels that run too high essentially and and the development of Alzheimer's disease there's there's a causal not just an association or it's not just a coincidence it's been shown in uh, multiple types of different different kinds of studies that insulin resistance can, in and of itself, directly result in all of the features that we see of Alzheimer's disease, and it's it's a, it's considered to be a common causal culprit in the majority of cases. So, and the, and what's happening there is that uh, as you, you know, if your insulin levels are running too high too often, so if you're eating the wrong too many types of the wrong carbohydrates too often too much refined carbohydrates, sugar, flour, cereals, fruit juice, etc. If you're eating too many of those things too often, your blood sugar is going to run too high too often, which means that your insulin levels are going to run too high too often. And if that's happening, then over time, the, your, your cells become resistant to insulin. They become kind of numb to insulin's mm-hmm. effects. I, and, I sometimes and, refer to this as uh, glucose, glucose everywhere, but not a drop to drink by your brain cells. 
You know, it's it's it's, it, it's it's ubiquitous, but it can't get in. It, the resistance, the insulin resistance, prevents the ingress of the of the fuel into the cells. This is this is exactly right. That the brain is literally starving to death under these circumstances because what happens is the the blood brain barrier, uh, which which glucose and insulin have to cross. They have to cross from your bloodstream into the brain. Brain can't make its own glucose or insulin. So so in any case, what happens is. The, over time, as your 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 blood brain barrier becomes resistant to insulin, and it becomes harder and harder for insulin to cross into the brain, and without in, enough insulin, brain cells can't turn glucose into energy. So your your brain cells could be swimming in a sea of glucose and still be starving to death because your brain has become insulin resistant, mm-hmm. and that uh, is a very dire predicament, and it can take. It can be gradually happening over years, um, and sometimes more than ten to fifteen years. Uh, the experts say that that Alzheimer's disease is preceded by decades of gradually slowing glucose processing in the brain as a result. So, it's it, many of us are on the road to Alzheimer's disease without realizing it. What are the implications for uh, ups and downs of blood sugar? Because you know, surely uh, you stand on the shoulders of your forerunners, you know, people like uh, Carlton Fredericks and, and people even before him uh, who delineated the problem of hypoglycemia or low blood sugar as it relates to mental conditions, anxiety, depression, uh, you know, the whole, we actually see it sometimes in commercials. Are you hangry? Uh, yes. <laughs> so. Yeah. So this roller coaster, this, there's this invisible internal roller coaster that if you're eating if you're eating a particular way which is very very common to eat lots of refined carbohydrates you know 3 4 5 6 times a day you get up and have orange juice or waffles you have you know bread at lunch and chips and candy and cookies and sweetened yogurts etc if you're eating if you're eating that way you're putting yourself on an invisible internal blood sugar roller coaster and and fast on the heels of every blood sugar spike is an insulin spike, a spike and drop. So blood sugar goes up and down, then insulin goes up and down right on its heels. And the problem with that is that insulin's a lot more than just a blood sugar regulator. It's it's also controlling the 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 levels and activity of lots of other hormones in the body, including your stress hormone levels. Mm-hmm. So every time every time blood sugar is crashing, um your the the body is responding by releasing stress hormones like adrenaline and cortisol to try to keep your blood sugar from bottoming out as it's falling. And that's a good thing. You want that to happen. But but the reason why you're in that predicament with those stress hormones pouring into your bloodstream every time this happens is because your blood sugar and insulin went too high in the first place. And that's very easy to avoid. So uh, most people don't realize, you know, that, uh, you know, four to five hours after they have something with refined carbohydrate in it, like a sugary cola, they're getting a huge spike in their um, in their uh, stress hormone levels, four to five times higher than they otherwise would be. So, um, and it's very easy to step off this roller coaster. It only takes an, a matter of days. Um, but uh, we're, we're, most of us are so accustomed to eating this way, we're, we're used to feeling hangry in between meals. We think of it as normal, and it's completely preventable. 
So what are the implications for the ideal diet? Uh, I see that you've inveighed against uh, our current dietary recommendations. We now have the Eat Lancet report uh, mm. where a lot of uh, academics, uh, your colleagues in the nutritional field, have weighed in on the necessity to uh, cut red meat out of the diet, to reduce our consumption of animal protein, uh, and to eat a plant-based diet, a diet which ultimately is going to be relatively high in starch. That, that's very true, and, and, and which will not contain all the nutrients the brain needs to function properly. The, the Eat Lancet report, uh, although it has lots and lots of, um, there's lots of money behind the Eat Lancet report yep. and many inf influential uh, and powerful institutions and individuals behind that report. But when you actually read the nutrition section of the report, which is about seven pages long. It's actually not that long to read. What you discover quite, this really surprised me when I, when I analyzed it is that uh, what you find inside is an airtight argument in support of including animal foods in the diet for best health. So, uh, the, it, it's really fascinating. I, I wrote an article about this also for psychology today, uh, called Eat Lancet's Plant-Based Planet, 10 Things You Need to Know. And, and it, what I do in that article is I point out, uh, all of the different places in the, in the report where they acknowledge this, the nutritional superiority of animal foods to plant, to plant-based diets, uh, in, in their report repeatedly. And, and the information that they use, the, the science that they use to support the arguments for, uh, removing animal foods from the diet, uh, fall apart under scrutiny. So, it's the, the message is it, the message that's being put out there is not grounded in science or even logic when you look closely at the writing. It's sort of uh, appropriating science to support a narrative, a narrative that actually uh, has a lot of mojo for uh, big food. Uh, big food is very happy to take uh, various cheap food ingredients and process them into airsats, uh, you know, steaks, hamburgers, and uh, you know, breakfast links uh, to assuage our concern about the environment, which is which is a very real concern. But on the other hand, is it does it fit uh, are the anthropological evidence about the ideal human diet? It's so true. I'm really glad you're bringing this up because I think many people don't realize that if you eat a, a vegan diet, you're going to be dependent on uh, processed foods in order to meet all of your requirements and, and supplements. And, you know, the, these are, you know, the, you will not be able to sustain yourself on a, on a whole foods only vegan diet without supplements and processed ingredients. So that's, that's a bit of a conundrum, isn't it? Um, and it doesn't take much animal food to meet your requirements and it doesn't have to be red meat. Uh, but but the optimal human diet. I mean, we've evolved to uh, to require a certain amount of animal food in the diet, and I think that that's it's important for people to to know that, especially women um, uh, who are planning families, because some of these ingredients, some of the essential nutrients that we need to grow healthy babies, particularly healthy brains, are you cannot find those in in plant foods. They don't exist, and so I think. You know, this is a dangerous message if it's not complete. The message needs to be complete so that people have all the information they need to make an informed choice. You're a big proponent of uh, the keto diet for various applications, obviously for uh, weight loss, for 
uh, its benefit in terms of diabetes and prediabetes. Uh, but how does it uh, impact mental conditions? Oh, the brain is, uh, uh, thank you for asking, the, the, the brain is uh, designed to spend a certain amount of time in ketosis on a regular basis, meaning that ketones are important uh, sources of fuel for the brain, and they're also important signaling molecules for healthy brain for, for keeping brain pathways and systems healthy. So uh, all of us, whether we have metabolic damage or not, whether we're trying to lose weight or not, whether we have mental health conditions or not, it's important for all of us to spend a certain amount of time, at least in mild ketosis, which we do if we, you know, if we're not eating constantly, um, we all naturally time as human beings. feeding, TRF, <laughs> that kind of thing. Yes, and, and even even just uh, even just not eating, say between dinner and and uh, you know late the next morning, giving the body some time spent away from food processing, and and that that's very healthy for the brain. But then for people who have metabolic damage uh, caused by by eating the wrong diet, where we have damage to our carbohydrate metabolism, and and people who have uh, mental health conditions, many of many of those people also really benefit from intentionally eating a diet that puts them in ketosis most of the time, mild to moderate ketosis most of the time, because if you've got a lot of metabolic damage and insulin resistance of the blood-brain barrier, your brain is not going to be able to process glucose for energy properly, so it needs help. It's going to need ketones which are a byproduct of fat metabolism, you're burning some fat, it's going to need some ketones to pick up the slack and make up that energy deficit so that your brain can be operating on all cylinders. And, and even just getting into ketosis within a few days, many people say, oh, I, I have so much, my, I feel so much more mentally clear. Mm -hmm. I feel so much less anxious. I feel, you know, calmer and clearer and the brain fog has lifted. So there are often, it's a really common report. People feel that their brain is working better when they get their blood sugar and insulin levels down into a healthy range and let some ketones flow into the brain and make up that slack. And there's really interesting evidence on that, uh, looking at uh, childhood uh, epilepsy, seizure disorders, uh, which really suggests there's a very profound effect on electrical activity within the brain. And if it can tame seizure disorders, perhaps it can tame brainstorms of a, a less serious nature, which uh, result in mood swings. Uh, exactly. Uh, this is that was very well uh, described. Uh, what you just said there, because uh, we've known for exactly a hundred years now, uh, a whole century, that ketogenic diets can can literally stop seizures in their tracks, even in very severe cases in children who've tried every medication. We've known this for a hundred years now, and and uh, so if that's not evidence that a ketogenic diet can stabilize brain chemistry. I don't know what would be. And so uh, a, a really uh, a sort of uh, one of the best examples of a psychiatric condition which mirrors uh, epilepsy is bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. So bipolar disorder, we have mood swings. And so you suddenly your mood will go up and then it will go down. Um, and, and, and people with bipolar disorder, which used to used to be called manic depression a, a long time ago, um, there's 
instability of brain chemistry there were um, and, and stabilizing brain chemistry with mood stabilizing medications is often done with medications which also are the very same medicines which are used to treat seizures mm-hmm. so bipolar disorder and um, and uh, epilepsy are very similar bio, from a biochemical point standpoint a lot of the same uh, things are happening in the brain when one has a seizure versus when one has a mood swing. And so we know that there's a lot of good, it stands to reason that it would make sense to try a ketogenic diet for the treatment of bipolar disorder. And that's, that's starting to happen in clinical studies in various places in the world. Uh, well, you know, hopefully we will have, you know, some really good quality, uh, clinical, uh, trial evidence coming out in the next several years. And uh, but in the meantime, it, it certainly stands to reason that it would be worth trying for. And I use them in my practice all the time uh, for people with mood instability. It can be extremely helpful within about two to three weeks. But it, but it's also very important for your listeners to know that there are some there are some important things to understand about ketogenic diets if you have a mood disorder, uh, especially if you're taking medication or have any health problems, um, that you, you can't simply, you, know, you can't simply just hop onto this diet without, without learning something about it first, because there, are, and working closely with, with, um, with your, with your care team on transitioning to that diet. And so, um, that's what I do with, with, with my patients and a growing, a small but growing number of, of, of psychiatrists around the world are, are having success with their patients as well. So it's a really promising and really exciting, um, uh, proposition. And you have developed a, a keto course for mental health. So specific, specifically addressing, uh, you know, how to make the transition, uh, how to execute the diet properly, how to deal with roadblocks to success. Can you uh, give out the resource on that? Sure. Uh, so since January of 2020, so almost a year and a half now, I've been teaching a small group online live uh, clinician training. So it was six, six uh, clinicians per training uh, to teach clinicians how to use this diet safely in their practices. And it has, it's been really a, a, a pleasure to, to develop that course and, and because what I really want, I mean, I know that I know that we need more clinical research to have a clear understanding of, you know, which people may benefit the most from this diet and, and to answer some really important questions, uh, that, that I think need to be answered in order to have, you know, large, skeptical, skeptical clinicians, uh, to, to convince skeptical clinicians that this is worth trying in their, in, in mainstream practice. But there are many of us who are already convinced of the benefits and we see the hundred years of science and we see patients coming to us saying, I've read all about this diet. I, 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 I believe it's safe. I, I feel comfortable with it. I really want to try this diet. Can you help me with it? Can you help me? Uh, use this instead of medications to see if it might help, or can you help me perhaps maybe reduce, if it works, maybe we could reduce my psychiatric medications. So there's a high demand for these services, but not a lot of clinicians who feel comfortable using them in practice. So that's why I created that course. And so uh, that's, um, uh, I think, I think it's important while we're waiting for the psychiatry-specific research to come around, I like to say to people that, you know, the science is already here. It's just the clinical trials in the field of psychiatry that needs to catch up. We know that 
that ketogenic diets are safe and now even recommended as one of the standards of care for treating type 2 diabetes. It's a safe and healthy diet. The question, really the devil's in the details when it comes to treating psychiatric disorders, and that's what that course is, is designed to help people to help people feel more confident using these diets in their clinical practice. And so this is for clinicians, you know, who's who's eligible for this? Uh, MDs, DOs, uh, nurse practitioners? Uh, what What's the range of health practitioners who can employ this? Yes, all, all clinicians, clinicians of all backgrounds are welcome. Uh, I, I, you know, uh, from MDs to DOs to nurse practitioners uh, to uh, e- even social workers, nutritionists, dietitians, um, and and health coaches have taken the course. I've trained uh, uh, people from all different backgrounds, and and the the reason why I think it's important and it, for mental health clinicians of various backgrounds to understand how this works is because there there it it can help to even if you're not even if you're not a prescriber yourself to understand how this diet interacts with psychiatric medications so that you can be aware of what to watch out for as the person is transitioning to this diet so um i think that uh, there's a lot of interest in in this approach but not enough information clinically uh, clinically specific information so that so that we can use these diets in clinical practice safely and responsibly. And then we can also know who should not eat a ketogenic diet because there are some uh, populations, some types of people who shouldn't. Um, there, It's a complicated conversation, but it's not always the right choice for children and growing teens. It's not always the right choice for pregnant women, for lactating women. And you have to be very, very careful with people who are taking Medicines for blood pressure, blood sugar, heart disease, um, kidney disease, you need to be very, very careful in those cases. You really need to know what you're doing and collaborate and consult with the whole team. So it is a very safe and healthy diet. It's the medications and the health conditions that pose the special challenges. So, um, but it, it's, it's, it's been a really wonderful experience to connect and uh, uh, work with clinicians from all around the world who are curious and excited about using these diets and, and practice and, and re- want to respond to the demand they're seeing from their patients who are looking for these services and, um, uh, and aren't always able to find supportive practitioners. Okay, it's a good point at which to pause because, uh, as our listeners know, we divide our podcast into two parts. In part two, I want to talk about uh, some specifics. What does the what does the keto diet look like? Uh, what can't you eat? What can you eat? What's left? Uh, also, uh, your unique perspective on COVID nineteen because uh, you are the author of a great article: "Nutrition Can Strengthen the Immune System to Fight COVID 19 I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Today's guest is Dr. Georgia Ede, a nutritionally oriented psychiatrist. That is an unusual breed, uh, but increasingly so. And when we return, more of today's Intelligent Medicine podcast. 